Yesterday, the people of Hawaii got this message on their phones in the morning. Emergency alert, ballistic missile threat inbound to Hawaii. Seek immediate shelter. This is not a drill. That's a phrase you don't want to hear. What would you do, right? Would you, would you run around? Would you grab somebody close to you? Would you, would you, would you call somebody? Would you, I don't know, what, what would you do in that moment, right? Maybe you'd grab what's, well, what's most precious to you and just grab a hold of that. Let's take a look. But they didn't. It's weird, and maybe we'll joke more about this later, but it's still kind of traumatic for us. And I bet a lot of pastors in Hawaii started their message today, or will start their message today, based on time zones with, if you were to have died yesterday, do you know for sure if you'd have gone to heaven? But seriously, people texted their families, they called their friends, some ran. We saw videos of people running and hiding, and others held hands, and more. In fact, I read some of the texts that people would post afterwards, and it was actually made, made me tear up at one moment because when you see these things, and people will call each other, say, I just want to let you know I love you, and, and I just wanted to say, you know, because they don't know what's real and what's not quite yet. One picture that was on the cover of the Drudge Report still is moments ago, and it was seen all over the world, was where a parent was putting his child in the storm sewer, which is a, which is a terrible idea, even in a nuclear war, but... But I mean, this, this kind of spoke to, and I don't know, you will see if it actually turns out to be real, but it's still been all over the world and, and more. And, and, and why? 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 Because at moments like this, we decide what's most important to us. And people say they'll do anything to protect their families. They'll do anything to get what really matters most. And of course, much of Hawaii is upset, and rightfully so. I mean, ironically, for real. They said that someone hit the wrong button while they were changing shifts. Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that just someone's just clocking out and then hits the wrong button and someone needs to redesign their button console right there. <laughs> they're, they're doing it wrong if this is how they design the button console. Don't, don't, don't do that. But let me tell you something, in the 38 minutes between the first missile warning, which everyone would have automatically assumed was a missile from the unstable regime in North Korea, and between the, between the missile warning and the 38 minutes later, can you imagine 38 minutes without any other information? It actually flashed across the television in the middle of a basketball game. It said, this is not a drill. Can I tell you, those 38 minutes, nobody ran to their ATM machine. Nobody, nobody checked to see how their car was. Nobody made sure their house was nice and tidy. They did what was most important, and this is key. Because money, in a sense, is how we express what's most important outside of the crisis moments. The reality is, is there are 10,042 other minutes during every week other than the 38 minutes of terror that people in Hawaii experienced yesterday. And what we do with our money and our resources during those, well, other 10,042 minutes is a marker of who we are, our values, and more. Now listen, you can't teach the Bible without teaching about money. Jesus talks more about money than heaven and hell combined. Money is a wonderful tool to see where we placed our trust, our hope, and our ultimate love. Now, if you're a first-time guest at Moody Church and you haven't come to church in 50 years, and this is your first Sunday, and you say, every time I come to church, they talk about money, you've got to pace your visits better. 
But the reality is we're going to look at a series of things. We're going to look at in our upcoming messages in this series, God's Road to Financial Freedom. We're going to look at today, God's ownership. Then we're going to look at debt's dangers, right? We're going to walk through these together. Then we're going to look at greed's antidote. And then we're going to look at work's purpose. These are our next four weeks laid out before us today. Now, I want you to know this is not a, per se, a giving series. This is actually an understanding and being a steward series. That's why we're calling this series, this this path, this road to financial freedom. And today we're going to talk about each week we're going to have a sign that sort of represents a road sign that represents on this road to financial freedom, God's road to financial freedom. Today we're going to look at what it means to yield ownership to God. Because part of the process and the journey that we go on is we yield ownership of our possessions to God because He is the source and He ultimately is the owner. See, the problem for many of us is wrong ownership of our finances. You have to yield it, and David shows us how. We've heard the passage read, but let's turn there again to 1 Chronicles chapter 29, because here we find it's in the context of an offering, right? So they're taking up this offering, and and in the middle of this, there's a a, uh, prayer that's given by David in the midst of the assembly. They had church. I mean, they got technically church, but they had church. You know, so they, they got together, and it says in 1 Chronicles, beginning at verse 29, excuse me, chapter, 1 Chronicles 29, beginning at verse 10, it says, Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, now we're going to walk through what David said. We're going to take a look at what he said. He said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Now, we're going to go through the rest, but we're going to do it in three parts. We're going to go through this section verse by verse, but we're going to do it in three parts and three points. You see, this passage is in context, is is a specific offering given by the people of God to help build the temple. Now, but kind of a strange ending to the story, this culmination and or capstone of the story does not discuss the people and their faithfulness and generosity. In other words, it's not how great they have given. It's not focused on them. It's actually focused on God. This gives us a clue about what we should focus on when it comes to our finances. So we won't focus on giving, but instead on the giver, God who gave them everything. Now, verses 6 through 9 focus on the giving with some detail. But this section is mostly a song. You can actually see the indents in your Bible. And it should not be, and again, it should not be about the giving, but about the giver or the owner, God. David does this, I think, to remind the people that this was a glorious day, but we serve a glorious God for all days. They gave an offering for the temple moments ago. We heard about one of our beloved and long tenured church members who, on his sixth birthday, would, when he was six years old, came to the opening of this beautiful building. Maybe we can imagine what that looked like, but they didn't talk about all the wonderful people who gave to build this building. They talked about God, and they honored him. And he already had the offering, David did, but he wanted them to acknowledge God's ownership. The offering, again, was to build the temple, to start that, but Solomon would ultimately finish it. But we are going to focus here on the words of the song, God and His Ownership, because David uses all these wonderful words like power and glory and splendor and majesty and honor and strength and glorious, but he does so in a financial context. Don't you miss that. He does so in a financial context. Don't miss this why. When it's all about God, it is God that matters. When God is sovereign, He reorders the rest. 
See, a few moments ago, we sang, I exalt thee, I exalt thee. Personally, one of my, my favorite songs, I have to confess, when I'm alone in worship, I sing that song. And we did that because it reminded us who God is that we're not and who we are in light of who God is. You see, when it's all about God, it's God that matters. When God is sovereign, He reorders the rest. And we're going to look through three things today. As a matter of fact, we're going to build a sentence through our outline. It's really pretty simple. For financial freedom, you must yield to God's ownership by acknowledging Him as source to live a life of gratitude and dependence. That's the outline right there. To yield to, for financial freedom, you must yield to God's ownership by acknowledging Him as the source to live a life of gratitude and dependence. So let's take a look and walk through that together. For financial freedom, first, you must yield to God's ownership. It says, therefore, David, blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever. So what? Number one in outline is you must yield to God's ownership. You must yield to God's ownership. Remember the sentence, for financial freedom, you must yield to God's ownership by acknowledging Him as the source to live a life of gratitude and dependence. Verse 11 puts it this way. It says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. Can you see that? I mean, what a beautiful expression, right? The offering's been gathered. He says, Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, power, glory, victory, majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as the head over all. This is not about them, their gift, or their giving. This is about God and His ownership. You have to yield to God's ownership. See, David starts out by pointing in the midst of a lot of giving, substantial giving, it is God who matters. And you notice there's some themes that sort of come here. Yours, yours is the kingdom, and you are exalted as head over all. Let's look at some other places that talk about this. We look to the Psalms in Psalm chapter 24, verse 1 and 2. It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and the world and those who dwell therein, for he has founded it upon the seas and established it on the rivers. Now, it's interesting as the psalmist writes this, it says, the earth is the Lord. So you're like, okay, just the earth? Well, no, the fullness thereof. Okay, just the earth and the fullness? No, the world and that's all? No, and those who dwell therein. So you get the totalizing way that this is described. And we see this throughout the Scriptures, right? We see this in Haggai chapter 2, verse 8. It says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. We see that in Psalm 50, verse 10. It says, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. Don't you miss this. God owns everything. Everything we have is on loan from Him. Now, knowing that changes everything because when we begin to see ourselves as stewards, rather than owners, we see God as the owner, we're consistently asking the question, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do with what you own? And that changes our whole outlook on our finances. So when I go to the ATM machine and I look and say, what's the balance? I don't think to myself, this is what I have. I think to myself, this is what God has and He has put on loan to me as a steward. Not everyone treats things well when they're confused about the ownership. I've been a landlord in the past, and as a landlord, 
Um, I can tell you that not everyone treats your property the way you would like them to treat your property. Um, not everyone is a good steward of what belongs to somebody else. And of course, not all landlords are good landlords either. But the reality is, is we have to be reminded that God is the owner, we are the steward, and for financial freedom, you must yield to God's ownership. It's a change in the heart perception, right? God created everything in the world. Don't you think then He'd own all things? If He does, then anything we have, anything we have is a gift for us to steward, not a possession for us to hoard. Don't miss that. If God's the owner of all things, anything we have is a gift for us to steward, not a possession we must hoard. Now, why does that matter? Because it establishes who owns what. In Job 41, 11, it's not on the screen. I'm just going to quote it real quickly. It says, who has given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is on the, under the whole of heaven is mine, God says. If it exists, it's mine. You say, but, but, but Ed, someone else made it. Well, where do those resources come from? I mean, God is the owner of it all. Now, you, you can't do that when you, when you miss that, when you miss that point, when you start going around saying, it's mine, then what happens is you'll feel the necessity to have more and more and more, and the end result is you'll consistently be unhappy, and you won't walk in a sense of contentment. Please don't miss this. This is foundational and fundamental. Because when it's God's, then it changes our approach. Contentment, for example, can exist, can't coexist with comparison. Contentment doesn't coexist with comparison. But with Christ's ownership, we don't compare, we surrender, we yield ownership to God. So there's really three options here. Option one, I own it. Say, but Ed, my name's on the, on the title. My name's on the ownership. My name's on the bill. Okay, we're going to talk about that. Number one, I own it. Number two, God owns a part. And sometimes people think this, right? So God owns a portion of my income, and so this is owned by God. And I think that's a, that's a problem and a theological mistake to say, well, God owns, for example, 10%. That's, that's God's. No, 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 no. 100% is God's. You say, hey, does that mean you're calling us to give 100%? No, I'm calling you to steward 100%. So option one is I own it all. Option two, God owns a part. Option three is God owns it all. And option three is the right answer. So again, for financial freedom, you must yield to God's, excuse me, you must yield to God's ownership by acknowledging Him as the source to live a life of gratitude and dependence. Let's go on to number two in our outline, right? So let's say it with me. Would you mind reading it out loud with me? Let's start here from the top. For financial freedom, you are not reading with me well. <laughs> Is it cold out there? Is it, you're still warming up? Let's try it again. For financial freedom, you must yield to God's ownership by acknowledging Him as the source. Now, let's take a look at the source of God. It says this in First Chronicles, next verse, 29, verse 11. You look down there in your Bible. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. Don't miss that, right? So, riches and honor come from God. So, if you have a lot to give or you have a little to give, right, if you own a lot or you own a little, then ultimately, riches and honor come from God. You who you rule, God rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. 
Now, I want you not to miss this, right? Because the reality is, is people sometimes get the idea that, well, it happens in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 8, 17, here's what sometimes people say. It says, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Now, the reality is it comes from God. You say, but Ed, I really worked in my own smarts. And listen, I'm for smarts. I'm not opposed to smarts. And if God has gifted you in certain ways so that you have been successful, you need to not miss that God has gifted you is precedes the opportunities that He has given you. Now, why does that matter? Because I think sometimes we get confused otherwise. I remember I came home um, one day, and there was this uh, box of Cheez-Its. Now, I like Cheez-Its a lot, too much. Um, not good for me. I shouldn't have them, but I'm kind of, I really like them. But so does my, um, so does my middle daughter. We have this thing, my middle daughter and I. Uh, she's, uh, she's 15 now, but this happened, oh gosh, years and years ago, maybe a decade ago. And, and she really, she got home. She got, when, when she saw, she walked in and the box of Cheez-Its was completed next to the chair where I sat. And she was, she got, she got mad. She said, Dad, why did you eat all the Cheez-Its? And she said, now there's no Cheez-Its. And I said, honey, we can get some more. But she was just, she lost it at this point. She was like, it's like but, 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 I, but I, I want some Cheez-Its. I said, honey, we can go to the store. You know, she's a young girl. I mean, you know, I'm trying to be nice. We can go to the store. And, and she's got, you, she got mad at me. You ate all the Cheez-Its. And I said, listen, I finally said, listen, I can get more. And I started getting a little excited. I said, I said, this is not a big deal. It's a box of Cheez-Its. It's not a big deal. I can go to the store and buy five boxes of Cheez-Its. Matter of fact, I can build a room out of Cheez-It boxes. I can fill our house. It's not that expensive. It's, 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 I, I, I said, it's, I'll do any, I am the Lord of the Cheez-Its. And she just crossed her arms and she said, my Cheez-Its. And this is the actual picture. <laughs> She's 15 now and I had to pay her a fee to actually use this picture. Um, <laughs> See, she didn't know my power and it's not that much power to buy a box of Cheez-Its. She doesn't know me as the source. She didn't know I could get us more Cheez-Its easily. This is not a hard thing. And I want you to know, if an earthly father can buy a few boxes of Cheez-Its, God can take care of your financial needs. We acknowledge Him as the source. For financial freedom, you yield to God's ownership by acknowledging Him as the source to live a life of gratitude and dependence. Bonhoeffer put it this way. He said, earthly possessions dazzle our eyes and delude us into thinking that they can provide security and freedom from anxiety. Yet all the time, they are the very source of all anxiety. I want you to miss this. See, and when kids think that <laughs> we can't, you know, well, we're out of something and that, that's a trap. Well, you know, they don't even get that we're the source of everything in the house for our kids. Whether it's a little or it's a lot, we can buy them what's there because we've already bought it once. And and, and say, say, but Ed, they, 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 they get upset, and they do because, I mean, they just consume stuff. They're like parasites. Well, I shouldn't say that. Uh, <laughs> you know the word, but they don't produce much yet. Um, but they think, it's funny, 
Because my kids think and have to grow out of the idea that they own what they currently have in their possession that I or, and their mother have provided for them. And we have to grow out of the idea that we own what we currently have in our possession well, God has provided it for us. See, there's a difference between my possession, what I currently hold in my hand, and ownership, what is truly mine. We're like little children sometimes, and we grab a hold of what we say, and we say, it's mine. Can I just tell you? What you have is God's. If you're a follower of Jesus and you have yielded to Him, what you have is His. Your home, whatever it may be, small, large, in the middle, wherever, God owns that. Your car, you've yielded it to Him. Where you work is His. He's going to take care of it. Moody Bible Institute belongs to the Lord. He's going to have this under control. Everywhere we go and everywhere we look as followers of Jesus, what we have is actually what He has. God owns our stuff. And we act like an unaware child when we tell God, it's mine, there's no more, me, me, me. But instead, when we see our possessions as on loan from God, we see life with spiritual eyes rather than fleshly eyes. And I think this is one of the reasons why one of the hard teachings of Jesus is actually Luke 14, 33, where he says this, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. No, it's an odd phrase because Jesus actually doesn't call everybody, though he does call at least one to give up all that he has. But for the rest of us, he reminds us, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Can I encourage you one way to look at that? Is to say, Lord, it's not mine. I don't have it. It's yours. And in doing so, we're not driven by our possessions. We're not driven by our stuff. But ultimately, we're driven by our Savior, who's the Lord of our stuff. Are you tracking with me? Does that make sense? Number one. For financial freedom, you must yield to God's ownership. Number two, by acknowledging Him as the source. Number three, to live a life of gratitude and dependence. One more time, would you read it with me? Let's read it out loud together now. You ready? For financial freedom, you must yield to God's ownership by acknowledging Him as the source to live a life of gratitude and dependence. Now, why? Well, let's take a look at the next verse in the text, verse 13. It says this, and now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. I love that. We're giving glory to God. We're living a life of gratitude and dependence. We thank you and we praise you. We thank you for what you have done. We praise you for who you are, which emphasizes our dependence on him. If while you sang, I exalt thee, you thought how important you were, you are doing it wrong. But if it reordered your memory and thoughts that God is the priority, you are his, your possessions are his, to live a life of gratitude and independence, which is reflected in the New Testament too. Paul writes in Colossians, he says, whatever you do, this is Colossians 3.17, whatever you do in word or in deed, do everything in the name of Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God, giving thanks to God the Father through him. You know, it's interesting, and sometimes it's hard to thank God for things that we have that are not as nice as what other people might have. Cars are a fascinating emblem in our lives, it's, and I've always had difficulty in my younger years thanking God for my cars. When I was in high school, my dad would drop me off at school in his uh, 1969 Chevy. Now, mind you, I didn't go to school in 1960s, um, 
but my dad would drop me off and maybe in the 80s and, and it had holes in the floorboard. It had Bondo holding the car together and, and I was embarrassed as embarrassed. There's nothing more that a teenager enjoys than pulling up to your school with a car that was 16 years old, leaving a trail of smoke. And that was the car my dad had. In fact, I was down, recently visited the school, and I, I, I walked around, took a picture, and, and I, I couldn't really explain it, so I, did, I was going to put it on Facebook or social media, but I didn't think anyone would get it. But I went around the back, because I used to tell my dad, there were some dumpsters in the back. I said, Dad, um, if you just drive around the back to the dumpsters, I, I'd be able to get to class quicker. And the, the reason I wanted to go back down there was I wouldn't get to class any quicker. It was farther away, but then no one had to see the car that my poor family had. And my dad knew, he told me later, but he did it anyway. And then when I was in high school, I got my first car. It was a 1971 Buick Skylark. It was sweet. Right. Had this one seat in front like a bench, right? And it was, I had my sweet girlfriend, now wife, and we were, could you drive with me? If you look from behind, we just like one person with two heads, no seatbelts back in the day. <laughs> Driving down the road. But I started to learn, even then, as a high schooler, that this was God's car. Now, now, why? Because in acknowledging that, I acknowledge Him as the source, but it also changed the way I made decisions. You see, when I pastored in Buffalo, New York, we, 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 we couldn't afford to have another car. We had, a, we had an old car, old run-down car, and, and, and we'd sometimes take the bus, and Donna would take the bus, and thank God for it. And why? Because the reality is we said, God, thank you for what you have given us, and thank you for the opportunity we have to get around through other means as well. But it was God's. Other people might have looked at my car and said, Man, that wasn't so impressive. But God blessed me with that. We begin to acknowledge the blessing of God when we have a little or when we have a lot. We begin to walk in the freedom that these things belong to God. But also it reminds me to make wise choices. But I didn't always do that, right? What, what eventually began to happen is, is for some reason, and I don't know why, I don't remember what happened, but I remember sometime along the way, Don and I began to think we need better than this. But we didn't have the finances to make it better than this. We didn't have gratitude and dependence. We had entitlement and a loan application. And people kept loaning us money. They gave us credit cards, and, and, and they, we could use this credit card, and, and we could actually get a loan for a car. And, and soon we had two cars and, that we couldn't afford. We had credit card debt that we couldn't pay back, right? We didn't have gratitude and dependence. We had entitlement and a loan application, and it almost led to bankruptcy for us. We talked seriously about it. We had eventually $35,000 in credit card debt, two cars in Hawk, and we were swapping credit card offers. We were waiting for a letter to come in to say, listen, you move your balance here. It's no interest for, for 90 days. Just write this check, and we would wait then for another one 90 days later. And why? Because we had lost the focus of gratitude and dependence. We were no longer thankful for what we had. We just wanted something more. We weren't at the place we needed or were ready for that. And, but we didn't have gratitude and dependence for what we had. But then we started believing the Scriptures and reminding ourselves. I was a pastor at the time. I had to re-engage the Bible's teaching about stewardship, focus on what God had blessed us with, living a life of gratitude and dependence, and we moved back 
to that. It was hard for a while, right? So I had to get another job. I, I had to, I, we, 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 she, she did additional work as well. We had to get out of debt, and we did, and we made a commitment then to never get back into debt. And I want to encourage you as we walk through this series, we're going to talk about debt's dangers, and I'm going to exhort you to live, because the Scriptures point us that direction, to live a life of gratitude and dependence, not enslaved by debt. And why would we do such things? Because we give God the ownership. First Chronicles 29, 14 says, For all things come from you, the next verse in the text. And your own, and for, of your own, you, we, of your own have we given you. So all things belong to him. What's not to miss this as we go through this series? God cares about your finances. Right? That's, that's a part of your life, and it's a big part of your life, and I get it. And Jesus speaking in Matthew chapter 10, verse 29, says this, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, uh, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father? But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value, more value than many sparrows. Don't miss that. God cares about you so much he sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sin and in your place, and he cares about you so that he can impact your finances as well. See, for financial freedom, you have to yield to God's ownership by acknowledging him as the source to live a life of gratitude and dependence. And this offering and this song in the midst of this offering that David has reminds us of these things. Can I, can I tell you this out for you? When it's your stuff, it's never enough. You'll always want more. And when it's your stuff, it's never enough. When God owns your stuff, he's enough. Don't miss that. When God owns your stuff, he's enough. He begins to teach you a life of gratitude and contentment. Now, don't misunderstand. I want you to seek to achieve for more. I, 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 want, I, I believe in the value of working hard and, and, and succeeding, and those things all matter to me, but they're done in the context of a life of gratitude and dependence, right? So when it's your stuff, it's never enough. When God owns your stuff, He is enough. When God owns you, He becomes enough for you. And when you live, learn to live that way, you see your finances differently. I love what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 13, beginning at verse 5. It says, keep your life free from the love of money. People hear this verse and they say, that's just talking about rich people. Can I just tell you, there's probably very few people in this room that wouldn't qualify by the description rich when this verse was written. Keep your life free of the love of money. Be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. Notice the contrast, right? Be content with what you have. Why? Not because you have everything you'd like, but because I will never leave you or forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, and I will not fear. What can man do to me? These next four weeks, for some of you, will be a wonderful journey. For some of you, it'll be hard, because it's hard to hear that sometimes we have become in love with our money, whether it's a little or a lot. Sometimes our focus has been on our stuff and not on our Savior. Now, now maybe I can encourage you with a verse that we might speak into this moment. It's a, it's a verse that maybe you've heard before, but you didn't know what it was about. See, love of money can trump those things even when we don't have a lot. Now, why? Because it's important not to miss this, right? Because God gave us Himself, sent His Son, his love for us is present and evident. So we can trust him enough to yield to him. We can trust him to acknowledge his ownership, right, by, 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 by acknowledging him as the source, living a life of gratitude and dependence, but ultimately that's yielding to him. 
So it moves us away from being driven and enslaved by our finances, whether we have a little or a lot, and selfishness and sin and self-service and saying, mine, it's mine. Now listen, guilt won't work to change on your finances. I'm not, gonna, I'm not looking to guilt anybody to give. I'm not talking to guilt anybody to change what they do. Matter of fact, moralism won't work to change our finances. I'm not here to say ought or this must, but Jesus' love for us and our response to his love will work to change our finances. You say, Ed, you don't understand. Well, I want you to walk with me these four weeks, and if you haven't planned already to be here, then make plans to be here. Change plans if you need to. If you absolutely can't, watch online. But what I want you to see is the verse that we talk about a lot says, for I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And that's a beautiful verse and true, but what you might not know is the full context. Look with me at Philippians chapter 4 beginning at verse 11, it says this. It says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, this is the passage, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Would you say that word with me? Content. Let's say it again. Content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. Right? So don't miss this. Right? I know how to brought low, I know how to abound. In, 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 every in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. And there's the verse that people have on their refrigerator or have on their car dashboard or have on their bathroom mirror or have, as we saw a few months ago, tattooed. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You know what that's about? It's about finances and trusting God in the midst of finances. You can do this not in your own strength. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. So maybe you're desperate and you're not sure what's going to happen. Maybe you're frustrated. Maybe like Donna and I, you got yourself into a trap of debt. We're going to get practical. We're going to give details. If you're not in a TMC community, now's the time. You can actually go to one today after the service, right? We're going to give details, but it won't matter until you're willing to say, God, all this stuff is yours. I yield it to you. Because how you use your money shows your values and your stewardship. And we yield those to the Lord, not just in 38 minutes of panic when we get an alert on our phone, and not just as we gather together on Sunday morning for a little over an hour as we gather for worship and give, but in the rest of those over 10,000 minutes in each and every week, we, we yield. We yield. We yield to God's ownership. Now, what's not to miss that? Because this is a key moment for all of us. We have to decide now, before anything else is dealt with, before anything else is covered, before anything else goes, is will we be those who yield to God's ownership? Will we say that we are an offering? You say, well, I give an offering. That's God's part, but the rest is my part. See, but none of this will work. None of this will be true in your life unless you see God as a loving Father who provides for all your needs, and none of it will work unless you believe Jesus is your ultimate possession. Because when you do that and you get that truth, then that changes everything. This is the gospel for our hearts, right? And these things are related. So if you want to exalt God like David did or like we sang, we, we do it by yielding to God's ownership, by acknowledging Him as the source, by living a life of gratitude and dependence. And my question for you today, whether you're worshiping with us online, whether you're here in downtown Chicago with us, my question for you today 
is will you exalt God in your finances? I don't know what that looks like, and maybe the next four weeks you'll journey with us together and we'll figure that out as we look to God's Word, but will you say, Lord, I exalt Thee, we are an offering, what I have is yours because I am yours. Can we take just a moment and do that? Can we take just a moment to intentionally and deliberately yield ourselves and our finances to Jesus? If you're here today or worshiping with us online and you don't know what it means to yield the totality of your life to Jesus, I want to invite you to trust Him by receiving Him as Savior and Lord, by saying, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Come into my heart, be my Savior and my Lord. He will. And you'll yield your life to Him, and that'll be the beginning of a journey that changes everything. But if you're a follower of Jesus, sometimes we forget that when we became a Christian, we gave it all to Him. So can we be reminded of that today? Let's bow our heads for just a moment. Father, we acknowledge today that in your grace and your goodness, you have saved us, redeemed us, and given us new life. Would you just start right there, just if you're a follower of Jesus with your head bowed and your eyes closed, would you just start right there by thanking him for the gift of God's Son? Thank you, Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, would you thank him for the blessings that he's given you? Would you say, Lord Jesus, thank you for the blessings I've had, the abilities you've given me, whether they're great or small. I give for life. I give for the blessings. Could you take just a moment and thank him that he takes care of us? Lord, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your care. You notice the sparrow, you notice us. And now for just a moment, could you yield your possessions if you're a follower of Jesus? Could you yield your possessions to Jesus right now and say, Lord, they're yours? Maybe it's hard to let go. Take a moment, just let go and say, Lord, I want to use them for you. I want to enjoy them for your glory. I want to bless others for your glory. I want to provide for my family for your glory. Take just a moment and you prepare your heart to do that. While Christians around you are praying, if you're not a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you today to say, Lord Jesus, I trust you. I follow you. Forgive me of my sin. I receive you as Savior and Lord. I give my life to you, Jesus. Father, I pray that you might remind us that all is yours. We just have to acknowledge and yield to that reality, and we do that today. Just in the same spirit of prayer you're in right now, would you stand to your feet with me right now? Let's stand together. Father, as we stand to our feet, we give you glory and honor and praise. And as we sing, we don't just sing words of a song. We make it our prayer that we, we not, not the gifts we give, but we are an offering. Our lives, they are yours. We are an offering. Would you make it your prayer? Would you make it your praise? And let's sing together.